from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. To some who considered themselves righteous and looked down on other people, Jesus told this story. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. And the other, a tax collector. <laughs> the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even lift his head to heaven, but he beat his chest and cried, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. I'd like to invite the children to go out with me now for our children's church. What's a Pharisee? I think we really have to start there. Because when Jesus opened his mouth to tell this story, everyone listening knew what a Pharisee was. It, it would be kind of like us talking about a, a preacher and a politician, or a lawyer and a doctor, or a Baptist and a Roman Catholic. We all have this context, these biases that tell us, ah, I know all about them. But we actually don't have that about the Pharisee. In fact, when many of us, especially those of us who were raised in the church and know the biblical story pretty well, when we hear the word Pharisee, these little sirens go off, our go off in our head because Jesus had all these interactions with Pharisees that were negative. But that's not what the original listeners heard. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament. And so let's imagine that we are a group of people listening to Jesus tell this story for the very first time. Maybe we're outside. It's hot and sunny, and we smell a little different because we bathe less frequently, and our skin might kind of have a smell of cumin. We have dirty feet. And, and really, actually, we are just generally more dirty. And um, most of us can't read, but we are really good at remembering the stories we hear. And then Jesus says, two people went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we think, Pharisees, yeah! And tax collector, boo, like, like somebody responded during the story. So thank you for that. Um, and, and so let's remember that the Pharisees are not the bad guys. They get
get so much right. They have right beliefs. They believe in God. They believe in the entire Hebrew scriptures. They believe in the resurrection of the dead. And also they follow the law. They believe in the goodness of the old way as taught in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. And they are, for very good reason, opposed to change, both from the outside and from the inside. And this is for good reason. Because on the outside, there's the pagan influence of Rome, the Roman gods, emperor worship. And from within, there is a danger of, of a slow descent of assimilation into the surrounding culture. And their caution is reasonable and wise, because this has happened before. Israel had already failed previously from the danger without and within when they joined in the worship of the false gods of Canaan and Assyria. The Pharisees were strong religious leaders. And so, in order not to make that mistake again, they focused on being pure. They followed the law as much as they could to the letter, because this is the only purity they can control. They've lost control of so many other things. There's no more geographic purity. There's no more cultural purity, no more political purity. The people of Israel are no longer a real nation. And so it is even more important that they put up boundaries, that they separate themselves in order to keep themselves from being contaminated by the surrounding Gentiles. And so they constantly remind themselves of the law of God. They, they wear it in little boxes called phylacteries on their foreheads and on their arms. And they know how to get and how to stay pure. Because, they think, following the law will compel God to bless us like it says in Deuteronomy, rather than curse us again. The Pharisees are good. And so when a Pharisee goes into the temple to pray, that's normal. That's what we expect. And when, when he stands to pray, that's also normal. And when he says, Lord, I thank you, that is normal. It's all good. But then, instead of thanking God for God's goodness or God's acts or God's character, the Pharisee thanks God for his own acts of goodness. Lord, I thank you, I am not like other people. He separates people into two categories, himself and other people. You know, the ones who are all evildoers, robbers, and adulterers. We can even imagine him peeking over his shoulder at that poor tax collector who we all know is a robber and an evildoer, probably an adulterer too. And the story Jesus tells is an extreme hyperbolic story. It's an exaggeration. But it raises a point. You can be good and do all the right things and still not be justified before God. This seems to be a problem. But the problem gets more challenging with a tax collector. If we're standing around listening to Jesus tell this story, and he tells about the tax collector entering the temple, we might have booed if they booed in the first century. And in my research for the sermon, I couldn't figure that out. But we can imagine them booing. And this is the bad guy. He is not like an IRS agent or a tax man who just delivers news we really didn't want to hear. One can be a moral IRS agent and an honest tax guy, but 
No one can be an honest tax collector in the first century. He is the opposite of the Pharisee because he is not pure. He is complicit with the Roman oppressor and he's considered unclean. If you invited a tax collector into your house, which you never would, he would make the entire house unclean. In fact, he's making the temple unclean just by being there because tax collectors embezzled and represented Roman rule. And so this guy slinks into the back of the temple with his hoodie up, hoping no one sees him. And he stands in the back, beating his chest, which sounds weird, but that's a sign of repentance. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all. He doesn't say why he's a sinner. He just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this prayer stands in direct contrast to the Pharisee's prayer because in the tax collector's prayer, God is the one who is active. God is the subject of the sentence. This man is the one receiving mercy, not the one doing good. So here in this parable, we have the good guy with the self-centered prayer and another guy who shouldn't even be in church, I mean the temple, and the good guy prays about himself, comparing himself to another, and the despicable guy asks for mercy. And then Jesus throws the real curveball of the story. This man, the scum of the earth, despicable tax collector, the one in the back with the seven-word sentence, He's the one who goes home justified before God. And Jesus doesn't say it, but it's implied that the Pharisee, the one so concerned about being pure, who even probably tithes on his birthday money from grandma, but he definitely tithes on all the herbs that grow in his garden, he doesn't. He doesn't go home justified. Sometimes we throw the word justified around a lot at church, um, but in the Greek and in the, the culture of the first century, this word is associated with righteousness, with civil virtue. A righteous person was one who conforms, who is civilized, who observes custom, who fulfills personal obligations, or who observes legal norms. Sounds a lot like the Pharisee, right? Wrong, Jesus says. How can this tax collector be considered righteous? Well, it's because our righteousness does not come from ourselves. To those who considered themselves righteous, Jesus told this parable. To consider themselves righteous, to consider themselves good, just like the Pharisee. And to make a generalization, we might say that most of us like to consider ourselves good. And even when faced with the biblical truth that we are all sinners, some of us might think, yeah, but I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Hitler always seems to be on this list. Um, Genghis Khan, Stalin, Kim Jong-il. But when faced with the challenge of God's call for our righteousness, we compare ourselves to others. And we want to think of ourselves as righteous. The preacher Fleming Rutledge, in one of her Good Friday sermons, talked about Jesus' words in Luke 5 when he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then she continues, what does the Lord see when he looks at us? He doesn't see the way we try to present ourselves to others. When God looks at us, he doesn't see titles, bank accounts, club memberships, vacation homes, net worth. 
he sees a pathetic bunch of sinners trying to pretend that we are powerful and successful and masters of all we survey. He sees us perpetually trying to divide up the world into good people and bad people with, with ourselves on the good side, of course. The typical human being, and, and maybe especially those of us who go to church, have certain techniques for getting ourselves off the hook. We may agree that we are sinners of a sort, but not really. We like to think of a dividing line between slightly blemished people and really bad people. And people like tax collectors, the pornographers, the mass murderers, the drug lords, the child molesters, the genocidal dictators, the neo-Nazis and Hitler, those are the bad ones. Those are the really bad people. Wow, I thank you, God. I am not like them. But here's what Jesus is saying. Those sinners aren't just out there. They're in here. And I'm talking about us, all y'all and me too, because sin is not simply just what we do. Our sin runs deeper than our actions. It runs into our hearts and it runs out of our hearts. And whether the worst thing we do is to steal a pencil sharpener in first grade or take advantage of someone less powerful than ourselves or harbor hatred in our heart for years or reduce another human being to an object of sexual desire, we are all the sinners Jesus was talking about. And we can't escape it, even when we want to. The Apostle Paul described this problem real well in Romans 7 when he wrote, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And, and so even when we don't actively sin, we don't necessarily do good things. For example, consider what would happen if you locked yourself in the closet to avoid sin. Would it work? No, because sin would go in there with you. And if you forced yourself to do maybe 20 good works a day, to tithe on your Christmas bonus, to fast and pray for three hours, to visit a homebound person, to sit on the broken chair, to give your neighbor that last piece of pie, would you be good? Would you be good enough? What's good enough? Can we ever escape our sin and stop being sinful? Meditation on our own sin and our capacity to sin is deeply troubling and disturbing because sin has so many dimensions. It's what we do, it's what we don't do, it's what we think, it's how we are motivated. It's this desire to become like God, the desire to turn from who God has created to us to be and to recreate ourselves, not in the image of God, but in the image of the false self. And this is where the Pharisee was. He looked good on the outside. But on the inside, he had become his own God. He was a self-made man. He was saving himself through his own good works. He didn't need God, he thought. And, and this is the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the tax collector actually show us two different sides of sin. Self-righteousness, the wrong idea that we make ourselves good, and then just plain sin, <laughs> like the tax collector. Honestly, I think 
and wonder if admitting the kind of sin the tax collector confessed might be a little easier than admitting self-righteousness. But it is a grace to know our sin. It is a grace for the Holy Spirit to prompt us to know our sin. Fleming Rutledge preaches that to know sin is already to be in a state of grace. Because if we're constantly looking over at our shoulders at the robbers and evildoers and adulterers that surround us, we will not be aware of our own sin. If we're constantly complaining about the sin of the world, we will not be able to listen to the Spirit gently and sometimes not so gently, convict us of our sin and guide us away. St. Maximus points out that pride, the opposite of humility, consists of two forms of ignorance. The first is the ignorance of God's power, and the second is the ignorance of our own weakness. The humble person is one who has faith in the divine power and recognizes his or her own weakness. And that is what the tax collector did. He had faith in God's merciful power, and he recognized his own deep sinfulness. The Pharisee was oblivious. He was so centered on self, he missed the revelation of the Spirit. And the good news of this parable is that it's okay if you're not good like the Pharisee. The kingdom of God is open to all who call in the name of Jesus, to all who say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to tell you about another Christian leader. If he had lived in the first century, maybe he would have been a Pharisee. Uh, his name is Richard Mao, and he's a theologian and philosopher. He's written over 16 books, and he was president of Fuller Theological Seminary, a, a well-known and well-respected evangelical seminary in California for over 20 years. A few years ago, he released a video on Fuller's website, and this is what he said. I'm Richard, and I'm an alcoholic. In September of 2015, I will, by God's grace, obtain the goal of 40 years of sobriety. I quit in 1975. And in this video, he tells his story, a story of hiding alcohol, of having blackouts, of lying to his friends and family about how much he drank. He says, I just felt hopeless. And all this time, he's, he's studying in seminary, and he's a Christian and a leader, right? One day, he finally admitted to being an alcoholic to his wife, and the next day, he walked to his first support group meeting. In the video, he compares this trip down the sidewalk to the time he walked down the aisle at a Billy Graham crusade almost 20 years before. Walking to the meeting, he sobbed and remembered the old hymn that he'd heard at the Billy Graham conference, just as I am, without one plea, but that thou blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And as he walked and sang and cried, he prayed, help me, help me. I didn't know what I was going to do, he said. I thought I was going to die. And as far as I know, Richard Mao never shared this story publicly until this video. But his story reminds us that in the face of sin, whether it be addiction to anything or discontent or fear or jealousy or lust or envy, Jesus gives us the gifts of humility and confession. 
Jesus invites us to say we're wrong, to say we're sorry, to say we need help, and to say we need the mercy that we can always find at the foot of the cross. And this is the posture of the tax collector. This is the posture of Richard Mao and his story. This is the posture of those who recognize their own weakness in the presence of the power and mercy of God. Jesus did not come to save people who have it all together. And you know what? In this church, or in the church, we don't really have it all together. We are kind of just like our friends in AA, making it one day at a time by the power and mercy of God. Don't think of church as some place that we get together because we have it all together. Think of it as a place for recovering sinners, a place where the Spirit empowers us to be vulnerable and authentic, to tell each other the truth about our deep longings, our own laments, and our sin. Because it is through this deep humility that God reminds us that we are not gods, that we are not in control. And you know, we have a really great example of humility. And it's not just the tax collector, and it's not just Richard Mao. It's Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. To some who considered themselves righteous, Jesus said, this is what humility looks like. And through his shameful, humiliating death and glorious resurrection, Jesus has overcome our sin and the sin of the world, and Jesus pours out his mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, yes, yes. Amen. We're going to have opportunity to respond to this story together. During the next song, the words will be up on the screen. This might be an old chorus some of you remember. They're going to pass out cards that you can go ahead and start, then invite um, confession, prayerful confession. Maybe you find yourself identifying more with the Pharisee or the tax collector or somehow both, and that's okay. Listen to how God's Spirit might be guiding you. Ultimately, God calls and empowers all of us to confess our sin and to pray the words, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs>